Shalom, and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. Shalom, and welcome to Torah to the People. I'm Rabbi Jeff Dreyfus. Our guest today is Marissa Baggett, and I'm thrilled to have her on. Marissa is a member of Temple and a Memphis-based chef and sushi chef, uh, musician and singer. Many of you have uh, certainly heard and and seen her sing uh, leading with us at Temple Services on Friday night. Uh, She is an artist, and and that's why she's here today is to talk about her art. Um, she is a writer and a Jewish seeker. So Marissa Baggett, thank you so much for being on Tour to the People and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm really excited to talk about something that most people don't get to see the side of and that's my artistic visual art side. So thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. We were talking a, a little bit before we started recording about like you you said a minute ago, most people know you or think about you and think about your amazing food. Um, but you were just saying how for you and, and for, for most people, food is an expression of, um, food is an expression of art just, just as visual or, or other media yes. um, are as well. Yes. I mean, I think, you know, people tend to forget that's why they call it culinary arts. It's, it is a type of art form. That's a great point. Yeah, and I, first and foremost, I like to think of myself as a multidisciplinary artist. Um, culinary just happens to be the art that I've expressed and put out into the world the most. Um, but there are other things that I've done um, over the years that people may or may not know about, and that's, you know, I do enjoy singing. Um, I love um love performing. (laughs) Um, It was so much fun. I think I um, had the privilege of being in, was it seven or maybe nine? I can't remember. Purim Spiels at Temple. That was a lot of fun. Um, A lot lot of people don't realize this, but I was was a drama camp nerd. (laughs) So my summers were spent at drama camp and then at band camp. So those are um, things that you know, I don't get to express as often, you know, the music and the performing, but I still enjoy those a lot. Um, but also I enjoy painting and doing, um, visual art because it's my way of kind of having a voice and thinking about things on a deep level and taking that and just saying, okay, this is this thought and here's what I think about this concept or this thought. And for me, I think everything that I do is really about experiencing it. 
So if I want to learn about a culture, I explore their foods or I read their books and I think about um, watch their plays or sing their songs. And I think that's just, um, that's just how I've been my entire life. And it takes me into a lot of really interesting spaces. Hmm. So something about being able to deeply feel, not just to have a cursory um, understanding, but to, to view new cultures or new experiences through art and through the expression of, um, of artists and, and people that deeply, not, not only express, but deeply feel. Yes. Um, that, that is what appeals to you. Um, but that also comes through so much in your cooking and your art. Um, and, I, you know, many people know you around town in Memphis and at Temple. But, well, I don't, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I didn't know that you were a nationally recognized Jewish artist with, with your <laughs> art in um, yeah. Jewish museums around the country. And so I want to get into all of that. But I do first want to talk for just a few minutes about how you got here and what your life was like growing up, how that led you to be such a deep feeler and mm-hmm. thinker and artist, and then talk a little bit about how, um, what, what drew you to Judaism and how now that all of those worlds of Judaism and art and expression have kind of fused together, um, we'll get into that later in the conversation about how your art and Judaism uh, intersect. Okay, sure. Um, well, it's really funny because, um, my parents and I were having a conversation not too long ago about, you know, what happened to you? <laughs> and not in a bad way, but they're they're just really surprised at, you know, where I am based on where they groomed me to go. Um, I was very much groomed to take on a more intellectual approach to life. Um, any teacher that I had in school would have told you, oh, Marissa's is going to be a doctor, an engineer. Um, I actually went to college to be a civil engineer. Huh. Yes. That's like um, the, <laughs> not, not that I don't doubt your, um, you know, math and that side of your brain, but I just always think about you as, as an artistic person, not a, not a numbers person. Yes, exactly. Um, I do have, um, I've probably taken more math than anyone should ever take. Um, you wouldn't wish that upon anybody. I, you know, I actually don't mind it. I like math. I just didn't want to do something like that for a living. I always just thought of myself as being someone who just did interesting things. I never could nail down what it is that I wanted to do. And I think that the way I was raised actually pushed me in this direction, honestly. Uh, my parents were very much education focused because um, they they um, were able to go to college um, on a special grant because um, this was right after schools were starting to um, integrate in Mississippi. Mm. And so they had um, a special ability to go to college, even though they didn't graduate from high school in a traditional way. And so for them, me being the firstborn child, it's like, you know, you're going to go to school, you're going to college, you're going to be like a doctor or an engineer. And um, I took all of these kind of extracurricular things that my parents, you know, thought would be great for someone that, 
you know, is headed in that direction. Sure, I was in band and I, you know, I learned music and I can read music, but um, I went to, you know, computer camps. I was, I was um, in the math club in high school. Yeah. And um, I think that all of these different experiences really just showed me different worlds and each of them so fascinating that I couldn't focus on just one. I had to learn a lot about each one. And that is, I'm, I'm learning that that is typical of a polymath or what people call a renaissance person. Um, and I, I really do think I was groomed to be hmm. that. Um, where the artistic side came from, I'm not really sure. But after learning more about some of the more like traditional renaissance artists who were also mostly polymaths mm -hmm. um engineers were, before that was a thing engineers um apparently leonardo um was an amazing chef wow and through these great dinner parties who knew uh, who knew but um i think that for me i just i have so much curiosity about the world and um and these thoughts, you know, just how does it work? And I think that's a classic, just, you know, polymath thought is like, what makes this run? What makes this tick? And there's a bit of um, philosophy that kind of runs in everything. And for me, art is very philosophical. Hmm. Art is very philosophical. And you can see in your art this deep thought that goes into mm. the philosophy, the... Um, the messaging behind your art, you can tell that there's just, um, you didn't come to any of your expression lightly. These are right. topics and, and messages that either are deep expressions of, of feelings you have, or, and we'll talk about this, of these Jewish texts that have been wrestled with yes. um, for thousands of years. And this is, your art is a way of, of, expressing to other people how your own process of trying to understand and wrestle with these texts too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so how does your Judaism, what, what first drew you to Judaism and does that fit in with the rest of your, what we've been talking about, your um, experience and your desire to try to understand the world around you? Sure. Well, I think that, um, <laughs> As um as a as a spiritual seeker, I did not grow up Jewish. I grew up um, Christian in a non-denominational, um, very interesting background, and I had a lot of questions um, because I'm a curious person, and it's just not that tradition is not conducive for people who have a lot of questions. Usually, there are definitive answers and. It just is what it is. And for me, I needed I needed something that where I could say, you know, I don't know how I feel about this and the tradition be, well, that's okay because you can continue to think about this and wrestle with it. And maybe you think this now and maybe you'll change your mind later. And for me, that just felt like home. Hmm. And it continues to be true today. I constantly... Um, 
change my mind about things or read something in, you know, the weekly Parsha. And I'm just like, wait, what, what, what just happened here? <laughs> or wow, that's really incredible and amazing. Um, so for me, everything in Judaism, it's, there's, you know, there's so many rituals to embrace if you want and that have so much meaning tied behind it. And it's, it's almost like, it's just, um, I don't know. It just feels like, feels like there's so much to explore and like you could never get to the bottom. And mm. that's, that's amazing to me. I love that. I love that idea. And it, it really is a expression of Jewish tradition over the last 2000 years is in Judaism, there's no one right answer. Right. Um, I mean, you know, we have some hard and fast rules like don't murder um, and, mm. and stuff like that. But uh, for the most part, it's a tradition where generation after generation, we're wrestling with these ideas and, um, it takes a lot of humility to say, I don't have the right answer necessarily, but I want to, I want to try to get at it. Mm -hmm. And so to say, um, here's my question. I might be thinking about this the right way. I might be thinking about it the wrong way. And, and hopefully I'll encounter a text or an idea that could have come a thousand years ago or could have come a generation ago. Or maybe you heard it on NPR or, you know, a a sermon on YouTube. Um, And each one of those ideas can influence how we view the world. And that's really what Judaism is all about. Yes. And that's what I love about Judaism. Yeah. So let's talk, let's move to your art. And uh, you have um, two pieces featured in... Um, this exhibition in the Jewish Museum of Maryland right now. And for those of you um, who are in Maryland, go check it out. Uh, For those of you who are not, you can see much of this exhibition um, online and we'll put a link in the show notes. But um, it's called, the exhibition is called The Fence Around the Torah. Um, And you have two pieces. Um, The first one is called Are You Jewish? Yes. And I want to... ask you first to describe it if you can and then also you have a really moving um, artist statement that I'd like you to read as well okay sure so this piece is um, very bold and very brightly colored Um, and I can't tell you how many times I painted over it before I decided that I was going to go with it um, how uncomfortable it made me A lot of art that I make makes me uncomfortable before I'm willing to put it out into the world. Um, This painting is, um, it's pretty much, it's it's a painting of myself um, when I had a lot more hair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And... It's, it's a painting of me with my, with my hair just kind of out in, in, in a big afro in its natural state. And there is a huge red smudge across my eyes. And at the top, there's a stamp that says validation pending. And at mm. the very bottom, if you look carefully, you can see Jewish written in there. But it's not, um, purposely, it's not obvious when you look at me that that you can see the word Jewish on there. Uh, it's written in black text and, but the, over a black background. So yes. it's not, it's not immediately clear. Right. Mm. And that was purposeful because I think a lot of times here in America, people forget that sometimes Jews look like me. Right. And so it's not necessarily obvious. 
unless you look a little closer or think about it a little more. Even though there are signs there, such as the you know high necklace that I'm wearing in the picture, or the Star of David. Hmm. Yes. It's. I really encourage you if you're listening to this podcast um, and you're at a place where uh, you can pull over or um, just open up your browser, click in the show notes and take a look um, because the words will do our best, but like they say, a picture's worth a thousand words. So, uh, but Marissa, could you read your artist statement that goes along with this piece? Sure. The need for policing and safety in Jewish spaces often relies on split second threat assessments. I have been pulled aside to await clearance in Jewish spaces where I've worked and worshiped. Imagine being pulled aside and denied entry to a building you actually have a key to enter, even though you have engaged repeatedly in the past with security and other gatekeepers. The transgression, deciding to wear your hair in a natural state. We are challenged to ask ourselves how undue threat assessments obscure the sense of community for those that belong. Hmm. So this is a, first of all, I want to say kolakavod, um, all the respect for being willing to share this part of yourself mm. with with others and for coming on today to talk about it. Yeah. Because this is an issue that um, I, as as somebody who is not a Jew of color, but who's white and in a um, Ashkenormative, uh, uh, that's the ter- maybe that's an inside baseball term, but you know, um, uh, <laughs> In spaces that are, nor it's normative to be Ashkenazic. Um, we don't often think about um, enough the fact that there are many Jews that don't look like me, um, and whether that's because uh, they come from a Mizrahi background and yeah. uh, Jews from from the Middle East or North Africa, whether it's because um, they come from Ethiopia, or um, you know, there, there's Jews from Jewish communities all over the world. I mean, you go to Israel where more than half of the Jewish population is not white, is Mizrahi Mm. or um, Ethiopian or Indian. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the American context where we have many, many people who uh, they have uh, maybe one Jewish parent, maybe two Jewish parents, um, maybe a Jewish parent who who, like you, who came to Jew, who was a Jew by choice, um, we, we, ha- there's studies that have come out in the last couple of years ranging from about 10% of American Jews are Jews of color mm. to about 25%. Um, it kind of, there, there's some scholarly debate about what, what counts because these are response surveys. So people can identify, um, in various ways, but we know that a significant percentage, we don't, we don't know the exact numbers, but a significant percentage of Jews in America are Jews of color. Yes. And yet, if you go into a Jewish space as a Jew of color, mm-hmm. far too often you have uh, an experience that you express in your art, like one that you express in your art. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you, how, how did you come to want to sh- create this art and then want to share this art? And I'd love to know about these experiences that you've had as a Jew of color that led you to, to, to have this kind of message to share. 
Well, first of all, I wasn't sure I was going to share this story <laughs> um, or any other. Um, you know, these are things that, you know, have happened over the course of, you know, a couple of decades almost. And, you know, it's um, the thing about history is, um, you know, not everybody wants all the history told. Mm. And so I think at some point I kind of felt like, it's important to make sure that people are aware that these things still happen. Um, do I necessarily want to be the spokesperson that says, this is what's happening, let's make sure we're being aware? Not necessarily, but I feel like I have, um, I have a voice that, and I have the platform and I need to share these experiences um, because awareness only helps. Awareness yeah. only helps. And I don't do it to say, you know, oh, shame on such and such. I do it from a place of this is, um, it's important that you know, let's move forward. Let's figure out how to move forward from here so that this doesn't happen to someone else who maybe just will exit the community and you just wonder why you never see them anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. I, you said, and I don't remember the exact words, but you just said something like um, you weren't sure if you wanted to share because you, first of all, you don't want to, you didn't feel the need to be like the spokesperson on right. this, right? Right. And that is what is really at the heart of this problem is that a synagogue should be a place, if you're a Jew, where it feels like home, mm -hmm. that you go not to have to, to educate people right. on um, how to make you feel welcome. It should be a place where you go and automatically as a Jew, you walk into a synagogue and you should be welcomed and you should feel like, just like anybody else, that, that you, this is your home. Yes. And I really think it's a, it's a tremendous challenge um, and a tremendous opportunity for us to look at ourselves as Jewish communities and to say, we, we purport to be welcoming of all people. But when people that don't look like Jeff Dreyfus um, walk into our doors, are we making them feel welcome and comfortable? And too often we're not thinking about that um, or we're not being conscientious, conscientious about it. And so I really do... Um, appreciate you sharing your your story and your experience, so, like you said, so that hopefully in the future we will be much more open to the to the knowledge that mm. Jews don't come in, that Jews come in all hues. Right, right. And there, there's um, an organization I direct people to called Behola Shon. Oh yes, which do, do you have um, experience with them at all? Yeah, I'm actually working with someone right now to do um, a couple of blog entries for them. Really? Yes. That's, yes, I'm very excited about that. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Can you say a bit more about what the Cholashon is? Yes. So it is an organization that basically makes aware um, all of this lovely, just the tapestry and the beauty of, you know, multicultural Jews. Um you know, it's not just, um, you know, just black Jews or, um, you know, Jews from, you know, say, 
I, I, I don't know how to eloquently say it, but you know, they go, it goes so much deeper because there's so many rich, wonderful experiences. Like, um, for instance, this runner who is of Native American background and Jewish did a wonderful, wonderful blog post, which I really encourage everyone to read about meditative spaces and taking care of the earth hmm. from her Native experience and her Jewish experience as a reflection for Tuish Bot. It's like, it's just, you know, not only are there different types of Jews from different backgrounds, but it's just the, you get the sense of, you know, how all of this can be woven into Jewish text and Jewish life and Jewish ritual. And it's, it's so, it's so beautiful. There's just, there's so much. I encourage, I encourage people to really go out there and just, you know, look at these blog entries that, people have written because they're wonderful just wonderful so we'll put put a link to that in the show notes too and behold i shown literally the, the hebrew translation is in every tongue or in every language um and there's a notion that in judaism throughout our history we we like to think that everything in judaism has been the same since mount sinai right and um the the tunes that we hear in uh when we sing in, in temple, we like to think, oh, the, this is how it's always been. Um, even though, you know, a lot of the most traditional ones are, uh, you know, German drinking songs or, or you know, they, they, these are certainly uh, innovations. N- nothing in Judaism has remained the same. But in every period in our history, we have taken, well, this is actually one of the things that I think has made Judaism stick around for so long, is that we've taken our traditions, but also merge them with the surrounding culture. If you look at, I mean, even in Exodus, which we're reading now, um, who came out of Egypt with the Israelites, not just the Israelites, but also the heir of Rav, also the mixed multitude of, of non-Israelites, but that, that uh, put their um, future, put their lot in with ours. In every generation, in um, post-biblical times, in, in second temple times, we have a lot of influence from the Greeks um, and the Romans. And then we lived in Europe among Christians or, or Northern Africa or also in Spain among, among Muslims. And there's parts of our tradition in every age that are influenced by the cultures that um, we lived in. And so today to, to be mindful and intentional about saying we have Jews that also have intersecting identities and intersecting backgrounds with mm-hmm. a lot of other traditions, actually incorporating the wisdom from their traditions into Judaism, it's not new, it's not radical, it's actually what we've done all along. So I really appreciate you sharing your perspective, but also for our listeners highlighting that um, Bechol Hashon and other organizations like it are, are putting those stories at the forefront. Yes, yes. So back to your art, and I, I want you to talk um, a little bit about your other piece, um, the Talmud Shinui, um, that's in this exhibit in Maryland. Um, but also, what, well, yeah, so let's talk about that first. Can you explain that piece a little bit? Sure. So this piece, if you look very carefully um, in the background, you can see the setup of a page of Talmud. 
there are colorful sections and you know just looking at it from the front there's just like oh there's some fun blocks of color but this is actually based on a page of Talmud I actually looked up in one of my versions um, I actually looked up um, Talmud Shavuot 39a which this pieces um, based on and I added color to the way the page was laid out mm. um, and so in there's that in the background and then there are just these some abstract some not so abstract there is um, an image of the earth there are people there is um, a Kabbalistic tree of life and then right across from it, there's a more traditional tree of life. Um, there's a gathering of the people of Israel. And um, there are a couple of hands and doves. And this is all just kind of a mystical view of what it would be like if we took this for what it is. And that is all Israel is responsible for each other. And so that's the, the Talmudic text that this is all based around is, is this uh, language, Kol Yisrael Aravim Zebazeh, that all of Israel, not, not the country Israel, but the people Israel, the, every Jewish person or every Jewish community is responsible for, yes. um, to support, to take care of every other Jewish community. Yes. And one of the things that um, I put at the bottom of the page is kind of a representation of, you know, you see this rainbow of colors and that is to represent all the different people of the earth, mm. all the people of the earth, because I, I do believe maybe erroneously, but I do believe that every type of person represents uh, that Jews are represented in every type of person on mm. earth. Um, and so it's just this view of just this wonderful view of taking everything and all of our collective knowledge and just really embracing all of it and realizing that we all have something to offer. Um, and I'll just read the statement. Please, please. Um, this reminder that each of us, religious, secular, mystical, spiritual, cultural, and everything in between, play a part in the well-being of all Jews. As needed, we should tend to all of our communal needs, including safety. This challenges us to draw upon our traditions, both ancient and contemporary, to seek solutions that ensure a hopeful future, the vitality of the Jewish people. Beautiful. It's, it's such a gift to be able to hear um, and to talk with the artist about this art because you, uh, I've looked at this uh, image, this beautiful painting, um, and I notice a lot of things, but there's so many things that you mentioned that I didn't notice. And so it's wonderful to have that explanation. I have a couple questions about it of things sure. you didn't talk about. But first, what in your statement, you talk about safety. Um, you say, as needed, we should tend to all of our communal needs, including safety. Yes. How does safety fit into both this um, this piece and the one before? And are they related? So 
So safety is definitely um, the theme that I was working with. Um, I definitely think that both of the pieces are related. Um, when you're thinking about being responsible for each other, you know, there are different ways of being safe. You know, are you physically safe? Are you emotionally safe? Are you spiritually safe? And I think that several different traditions or cultures, subcultures within Judaism address these things. And I think that if we were to kind of take wisdom from all of them, then everyone would feel represented and feel safe, including Jews of color. Right. Like to get back to our discussion from a few minutes ago, if you're sitting in a synagogue and people are making you feel unwelcome, how are you supposed to feel spiritually safe and secure um, even beyond setting physical safety aside for a second, mm-hmm. how are you supposed to connect to God and to the community if you don't feel welcome and you don't feel accepted? Right. That's a really... So even beyond um, physical security, I know I've seen in a lot of discussions since Colleyville, um, which mm-hmm. obviously was a horrible um, hostage situation. We're recording this um, in kind of... Early, early to mid-February, and uh, Colleyville was just a few weeks ago. And um, there's a lot of discussions about increased safety um, and security, which of course we need to have. Um, and the rabbi in Colleyville welcomed in this person um, because we have this value of being welcoming to strangers. And, yes. and we get that from the Bible and, and all of Jewish tradition. So... Um, I think it's so important, and, and this is really an issue that you're highlighting, is when you have somebody who's not Ashkenormid, who, who is not white presenting as the vast majority of people um, in our synagogue, we'll just speak for Temple Israel, in our Temple Israel space are, um, we have to decide how what our values are and how we make people feel welcome, even if we um they don't look like what we think about as a traditional jewish person Mm, exactly yes that um not only that but you know the increase of safety measures such as um you know having security guards around it it doesn't just affect jews of color um i think back to right before the horrible, awful tree of life synagogue situation. Um, I was chaperoning a confirmation trip in New York. And as usual, we went to um, Central Synagogue mm-hmm. for Friday Shabbat, Friday night Shabbat services. And, um, you know, I don't know if anyone's been to Central lately or in the past few years, but even back then, they you have to walk through metal detectors. And there's, you know, some people actually get patted down um, as they enter the synagogue. And I remember at dinner having a conversation with the kids. Um, they were very upset and felt very uncomfortable. They, you know, they expressed to me, several of them, they, they said, I just don't, I don't, I, it felt really weird having to go through 
security like that in order to enter my synagogue or enter a synagogue. And we had a very deep and moving discussion about how that made them feel um, they couldn't focus on the service all night because all they could think about was having to go through security. And then unfortunately, the next day, we had a different discussion because right after lunch, we found out about Tree of Life. My God. It was mm. probably the um, probably one of the most emotional conversations about safety in Jewish spaces that I've ever had. Um, but yeah, it. How did the kids process that? Not well. Um, not well. Yeah, it was. Um, it was tough, especially having had the conversation the night before about how increased security made them feel uncomfortable. Hmm. It's it's one of these horrible realities of being a Jew in America in the twenty first century. Yeah. That we th- we thought for many generations that we were safe in America. Yes. Um, and you go to a synagogue in Europe or anywhere else in the world, really, um, and they have metal detector. They're used to security because in Europe, for many generations, they've known that they're, anti, they're anti-Semites and it's dangerous. Yes. Um, and here we're just now waking up to that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it is something that we're going to have to navigate together. And, this, and your artistic expression um, of this issue of, of how does, how do we feel safe in a place where we're maybe we're not safe or how do we strive to become more safe in all these different ways? Even if, um, even if our safety, we can't take it for granted anymore. Precisely. Yeah. So back to this art, which I think I want to talk about this Kol Yisrael Arvim Zebazeh because in, um, in our past, and I'm thinking about the kind of Middle Ages in Europe, this text was used as a as a proof text in a way for um, when a Jewish person or a Jewish community would get kidnapped by or and held for ransom by either a local group of Christians, which happened from time to time, or um, like a like a lord, uh, like a feudal lord. Um, unfortunately, we, we have this history of being kidnapped and held for ransom. And who would, uh, why would people hold Jews for ransom? Because they knew that other Jewish communities would, rant, would pay the ransom in order to save the life of a Jewish person. And why did they do that? Well, it's all based on this text that Kol Yisrael, Aravim Zebazeh, that all Israel is responsible for one another. So in the, in the aftermath of Colleyville, um, when literally someone was being, uh, our community was being held hostage, um, this text has a lot of resonance. Yes. So I want to ask, um, why, why this text, like what about this text, in addition to what you already said, drew, drew your artistic mind to it? So I think about... Um... think about Tikkun Olam a lot. And I read, I read a little deeper and realized that um, some of where that's mentioned in the Talmud has a lot to do with how much you can pay for a kidnapping ransom. And 
that idea just really fascinated me. Like, why would you even decide that someone that you say, okay, this is the most we'll pay and that's it. And um, I went on this deep dive, that's what I call them, deep dives about, um, you know, the value of a life. Hmm. And, um, and just the way that, you know, this idea of setting an amount that, okay, this is what we can, you know, go, go up to. But if we go over this, then if the person's community can't raise that much money, then we lose that life. Mm. And we have to send this message. Um, and while I may or may not agree with that particular thing, just the thought that went into protecting everyone and taking care of all of Israel really fascinated me that, you know, they would sit and think this long and hard about, okay, let's, let's put our minds together and figure out like, you know, this is what we can do to save the Jewish world if it comes down to it. And this is what we can't do. And unfortunately, you know, we have to set that precedent so that people will stop trying to take advantage of us. Mm. That, that is such a perfect encapsulation of Jewish tradition and this rabbinic tradition of, of um, just going so deep on any particular issue mm-hmm. and r- the legal reasoning behind it. Yes. Um, the idea in Judaism of to save a life, this comes from the Talmud, to save a life is to save the entire world. Mm-hmm. And yet the rabbis are also, the early rabbis who wrote the Talmud are realistic in the sense if, if one life, um, to ransom one life, may, so impoverishes a community that other people are going to starve. And, and I'm actually, I have to admit, I'm not familiar with this text that you're talking about and i'd love to study it um and learn from you someday but um it it makes sense that there would be some limit as to as to how much you can pay for any one person um and you see this today in in modern day israel right when um somebody a soldier or a civilian gets kidnapped oftentimes israel is um exchanges thousands of prisoners for one israeli prisoner and you know we can, you could talk about the occupation, the morality of the occupation. Um, diff, that's for a different podcast. Um, why does Israel have so many prisoners, Palestinian prisoners, in the first place? Um, but at the same time, you know they do have policies of not negotiating with terrorists, yes. just to prevent, to, to so as to not incentivize exactly. um, mm-hmm. that in the first place. Yeah. So I. You, we have both those tensions in the text and also in your painting, which I love. I wouldn't have gotten this if you hadn't explained it. Um, but now I love this message of this Kol Yisrael Aravim Zebazeh is a very particularistic text that yes. Jews should care about other Jews. But of course, we also in our tradition have this notion of universalism, mm-hmm. of Every person is made in the image of God and every person matters. Yes. So that's a, a constant tension in Judaism is we should care about Jews, but we should also care about other people. Exactly. And Jews aren't necessarily better or worse than any other person. All, all people are made in the image of God. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So I love that tension that you bring up that even as we care about the Jews, as we should, this uh, rainbow, every color 
at the bottom that represents we should care for all people too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This one took um, this one took a while to conceptualize because I I had um, all of these thoughts. You know, when you're when I'm reading a text, sometimes I just I see flashes of images. And I have to think realistically about, you know, how I can incorporate that into one cohesive piece. I also have to consider, you know, my artistic limits (laughs) as well. You know, um, a lot of my things are very, um, they're either very on the nose or they're very um, esoteric. So sometimes I try to bring both of those things together um, and it can be a challenge, but... um, yeah, this one I did. I did a lot of um, of text study before I worked on this one. So, Marissa, one thing I want to—the last thing I want to point out about this piece—we could talk all day about it. Um, it's it's really stunning, and everybody take a look at it. Um, I love that it's modeled after a page of Talmud because, for those of you who have not studied Talmud before, um, it is a roughly 1500 to 2000 year old Jewish text. Um, and the way that the, the page is laid out is that there's a uh, slice of Mishnah, which is the first and oldest rabbinic text that maybe has some kind of law or some kind of um, idea. And then it has the Gemara, which is the, the rabbinic commentary on that idea. And that's what's in the middle. That's, that's what the Talmud is is the, the Mishnah and the Gemara, um, the, the rabbinic source text and then the later rabbinic commentary on that text. Um, but then if you look at a page of Talmud today, which is the, um, the Vilna edition, that, that's where this text was first printed, was in Vilna in modern day uh, Lithuania. But um, in, in, on this if you open up any book of Talmud today, you'll see that in addition to the Mishnah and Gemara, which are in the center of the page, subsequent rabbis from the Middle Ages all the way until today, well, they stopped at some point, but from essentially many, many centuries are all in conversation with one another about what the Mishnah and Gemara really mean. And what I love about your rendition, what spoke to me is that you're, you're bringing in all of these different um, ideas to be in conversation with one another too, and all these different perspectives to be in conversation um, just, just as the Talmud does for us. Yes, and the other thing that I was kind of playing around with um, visually with this is you don't necessarily think of Talmud as, um, as some of the more beautifully illuminated things you know you can always find and buy you know these beautiful um texts that are illuminated Mm -hmm. and that was where i was going with this it's like we should we should illuminate more pages of talmud and we should illuminate them with things that speak to our contemporary sensibilities and that's where i was going with this so in a way, and we talked about this a little before we started recording, so this is a great transition um, to why you make Jewish art in the first place. How does your, um, 
how do, how do you use art to express these deep ideas in Judaism that you find meaningful? Um, but also there's this notion, and we talked about this a little before, of, of hidor mitzvah. Of yes. We have, uh, for, for the listeners who don't know this Hebrew term, um, hidor mitzvah is making a mitzvah beautiful. So we have these mitzvot of these commandments or traditions of lighting candles or of um, having challah, but in Judaism, it's not enough. Well, it is enough, but we, we should try not to stop at just having the challah or just lighting candles. We should make the challah beautiful or we should make beautiful candlesticks in a way of elevating um, the mitzvah and making it even more special. So how does, how does that fit into what you do and, um, and your art? So I'm glad you asked that because um, when thinking about spending more of my time being um, a visual artist, you know, there's so many directions you can go in um, and they're all wonderful and incredible. You know, some people decide that, you know, I want to do things that appeal to more people so I can um, be a commercial artist, you know, and sell things. And um, while I would love to sell things, <laughs> that would be nice. Um, that isn't my main focus. My main focus um, is really just expressing ideas of Judaism. I've spent a lot of time, um, you know, it's, you, you can't separate being a person and being a Jew. If you're a Jew, you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're cultural or religious or secular. It doesn't matter what kind of Jew you are. I mean, if you're a Jew, you're a Jew. And um, for me, it just felt more authentic to just explore Jewish topics. I love to study. I love to, um, I love the holidays. Um, and anything that I don't know something about is what I like to explore. Um, if I'm spending a lot of time working on Hebrew calligraphy based or um, street graffiti text in Hebrew, it's because I feel like my Hebrew is rusty and I need to explore. Um, it's my way of studying. It's my way of brushing up on, you know, Hebrew. Or if I'm thinking about the holidays, it's because there's something about that aspect of the holiday that I didn't really know about before. And I'm thinking about it. And while I'm thinking about it, I'm processing it. And my way of, one of the ways I process things is to get my hands dirty. And that's when I'm, you know, I do that with food. And now I do that with painting. So it's, I will be the first to admit that I'm not an artist in the least. Um, I do love being able to express myself and explore ideas in sermons or classes, but it's not certainly not as beautiful um, or or even uh, I, I do consider it a form of expression, but maybe not artistic expression. Um, but for you, it's it's not only a way of expressing yourself, it's also a way of growing and learning and, yes. and engaging with the material and the tradition. Absolutely. I mean, I think that um, one of the reasons, you know, Judaism appealed to me so much is that, you know, there's so much to learn, so much that, you know, I'm curious about so many things and there's so many deep dives and rabbit holes you can go down. And um, sometimes I just say, you know what, let's do it. Let's, um, 
let's go down this Kabbalistic rabbit hole. And, you know, I'll say, you know, well, what do the Kabbalists say about Tubishvat? And that's, I spent probably a couple of weeks doing nothing but reading Kabbalistic um, Tubishvat Seder um, material, um, just books and papers and, you know, things about it and just absorbing it and thinking, wow, they had some, those guys had some deep thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) And, and your exploration, I'm looking at, at your kind of first draft of making your own Tubashvat Haggadah, which Mm -hmm. um, many people probably don't know that one of the traditions that started with the Kabbalists, um, the, the Jewish mystics of Tubishvat is not just to go out and appreciate the trees, but to um, have a Seder where we explore, um, not only do trees have different branches um, at different heights, but we to the Kabbalists, the earth in reality is all of these different levels or yes. spherot, um, levels of holiness and levels of God. And so one of the ways that they um, tried to observe this holiday was to have a Seder that explored these different Kabbalistic levels um, of divinity. Yes, yes. And um, just, it, it really is fascinating. Um, you know, we may take for granted, you know, even if we do like just a simple two or three page um, Tubishvat Seder, like the thought that went into it that they were thinking back then just it, it's just massive and it's incredible and it could I probably could study it for the rest of the year and still just be fascinated with these new thoughts and ideas and um, all the things that you could learn it's really it's really something what what I'm really I hadn't thought about art as a way of really engaging with the textual tradition in because mm-hmm. in Judaism, so much of our tradition is passed down in these, in books um, where, you know, we're called the people of the book, starting with the Torah and then the Mishnah and the Talmud um, and the, the centuries of commentary. And so much of that engagement over the centuries is just words. Yes. But there's something about the visual realm through your art that gives it so much more richness. And yet it's, it's just as on each side of the Talmud page, there are people in every generation adding their mm-hmm. own mark to our tradition. You're, this is what you do in your art too. And it's, it's, really, it's really stunning. Well, thank you. I, I think that, you know, I don't know about other people, but when I'm reading something, I see images. You know, like when I'm reading a novel, I, it's, like, it's almost like watching a movie in your head. Um, and so to me, it just feels natural to think about text as images. Hmm. What I, what I want to thank you for, in addition to having me to your home and sharing your art and um, sharing your story, is just the example that you set for, for so many of looking in our tradition for wisdom and for inspiration and for things to wrestle with. And then wrestling with them through your art and creating something that can teach the rest of us and inspire the rest of us to deepen our own engagement with, with Judaism and with art. Oh, wow. Well, when you say it like that. <laughs> 
Yeah, this is um, this has been um, a really interesting new journey for me, and I'm um, I'm excited to see where it takes me next. Wonderful. Well, yeah. we, we are we are too, and we're so honored um, to have you as a part of Temple Israel, and um, for all thank you for all that you do for Temple. Uh, but I I hope this is an opportunity for all those listening to see your visual art and to to explore that and. Um, I just want to give a plug for one more time for the Fence Around the Torah exhibit Mm -hmm. at the Maryland Jewish Museum. And is that? Jewish Museum of Maryland. Jewish Museum of Maryland. And also um, starting next January, 2023, you will have a piece in the Tzedek Box exhibit at the um, Art Museum at the Hebrew Union College that ordains... um, all the reform rabbis. This is the New York campus where um, I was ordained. Um, that is a, your rendition of a tzedek or tzedakah box um, as well. So we will post um, a link to, the, to a press release about that. That exhibit isn't live yet, um, but we'll certainly uh, publish that as soon as, as uh, it comes live too. Wonderful, thank you. Thank well, you, this has been great. I enjoyed talking with you about this today been great well thank you marissa thank you for sharing your torah um, and for being part of torah to the people we will catch all of you next time thanks for being here